You're listening to Travaux, The Current State. I'm your host, Kayleen Kosla, and today I'll be speaking with Travaux contributor, Julia Bennett. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the Black Lives Matter movement, last month's U.S. Capitol insurrection, and how they fit into the larger context of international human rights law. The Black Lives Matter movement has put the U.S. at the center of global debate. Drawing attention to its shortcomings and upholding commitments to racial equality under international law. The events of January 6th, as well as the response to it by the US government, has further garnered attention to the issue. Julia, can you start by explaining how and why the Black Lives Matter movement has gained international attention? Last summer, the Black Lives Matter movement highlighted appalling inequities in American policing. On June 1st, 2020, a nonviolent BLM protest in response to George Floyd's death at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer congregated outside the White House. Then President Donald Trump took a strong law and order stance and deployed the U.S. National Guard and Park Police. These federal agents used tear gas, rubber bullets, and pepper spray on the crowd. Similarly, in Portland over the summer, federal agents were picking up protesters in unmarked vans using tear gas, riot shields, and rubber bullets. How has the international legal community reacted to the Black Lives Matter movement over the last year? Racial justice advocates across the world have stood in solidarity with the BLM movement by organizing global protests and marches. Racial discrimination against Black Americans has not received such international attention since the civil rights movement and is now instigating a major discussion with the international human rights law framework. States have pointed to two international treaties in particular, the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination, known as the CERD, and the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading Treatment or Punishment, known as the CAT. These treaties could provide a way to further the Black Lives Matter movement, as both conventions provide interstate conciliation mechanisms. How have the recent events at the U.S. Capitol renewed and altered the debate on who is responsible for racial discrimination against Black Americans? The January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, and more importantly, the different reactions it instigated among the American public and government, starkly illustrated the disparity in American law enforcement on the basis of race. In comparison to the violent law enforcement responses to Black Lives Matter protests, the January 6th crowd, made up of mostly white Trump supporters who charged the Capitol in a bid to overturn the election results, was met with little resistance. Despite a warning from the FBI about the possibility of insurrection, a request days earlier from the head of Capitol Police for reinforcements, and continuous calls for the National Guard to be deployed, only hours later did reinforcements arrive and the Capitol become secured. The events of January 6th, especially when juxtaposed with the violent suppression rampant throughout BLM protests, showcase the unfortunate reality that American policing is unequal. If states are willing to challenge the U.S.'s actions, how would they go about doing so? International treaties and their associated treaty bodies are very effective means through which to agitate change. For example, Article 1.1 of the CERD represents an effort by the international community to combat racial injustice by outlawing behavior that has the 
quote, purpose or effect, unquote, of racial discrimination. According to International Dispute Resolution and public international law practitioner, Nawi Okabiala, effect, not intention, is the parameter by which behavior should be judged under the third framework. A comparison of the BLM protest to the January 6th insurrection yields proof that American policing has racially disparate effects, bringing the conduct within the scope of the third. Signatories to the third, including the U.S., agreed to, quote, condemn racial discrimination and undertake to pursue, by all appropriate means and without delay, a policy of eliminating racial discrimination in all of its forms, unquote. The treaty also states that the rights of all people are guaranteed, quote, without distinction as to race, the right to security of person and protection by the state against violence of bodily harm, whether inflicted by the government officials or by an individual group or institution, unquote. How might this and other proof make the CERD more applicable to the U.S. if it was not previously? In 2014, the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination released a statement saying that the U.S. failed to meet the treaty's parameters or to work towards eliminating racial discrimination. Data from UC Davis and the Center for Policing Equity backs up the bleak picture painted by the CERD committee. For example, in 2015, UC Davis researchers found that in large metro areas with low median incomes, larger Black populations, and higher financial inequality, unarmed Black Americans were 20 times more likely to be shot than armed white Americans. The Center for Policing Equity reported that between 2010 in 2015, police were 3.6 times more likely to use force against Black Americans than white Americans. The events of January 6 are an all-too-real embodiment of these statistics. If the international legal community seeks to take action to punish the American government for its failures to curb and affirmatively support disparate treatment, it may do so by making use of several enforcement and accountability mechanisms that are written into the CERT's framework. For example, Articles 11 and 13 allow for member states to bring complaints against other states for failure to adhere to the CERD's core values and mission. The CERD also engages in the urgent interventions to prevent the escalation of existing conflicts and prevent the number of serious treaty violations. Here, the committee can ask the state to provide information, ask the secretariat to collect information from the state's field offices, and even provide policy recommendations. Earlier, you mentioned the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading Treatment or Punishment as another international human rights treaty relevant to the BLM movement. Can you tell us how that convention fits into the larger picture of racial justice? Though it's not as directly linked to acts of racial injustice, the CAT prohibits the infliction of physical or mental pain or suffering by government officials with the intent to intimidate, coerce, or discriminate. Human rights attorney Brian Stevenson explains how American criminal law targets Black Americans and creates a framework through which the use of lethal force is allowed for petty crimes. In addition, the U.S. only indicts 1% of officers involved in fatal shootings, and the Senate voted to not impeach President Trump for his role in the insurrection. These actions are difficult for the U.S. to justify as, quote, inherent or incidental to lawful sanctions, unquote an allowable excuse under Article 1.1 of the CAT. These sound like creative and promising methods through which international law can provide some recourse in furtherance of the Black Lives Matter movement. 
Have we seen the international legal community take similar steps ever before? The best example of the international community stepping up in that regard is the United Nations Human Rights Council's urgent debate in June 2020 on the Black Lives Matter movement and potential sanctions against the U.S. Burkina Faso, on behalf of the African group, requested the urgent debate in which the UDHR Council recognized how the Black Lives Matter movement shifted the transnational discourse on race and structural inequality. The United Nations Deputy Secretary General, Amina Muhammad, reiterated that Afro-descendants in the U.S. face poverty and structural racism. She noted that Black Americans were the hardest hit by COVID-19. Several speakers, including the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet emphasized the truly global nature of the Black Lives Matter movement. Bachelet encouraged the council to devote more attention and resources to racial discrimination in the U.S. and move beyond recommendations to direct action. Similarly, Kwesi Kwate, the deputy chairperson of the African Union Commission, put pressure on the U.S. to totally eliminate all forms of discrimination. Finally, Itende Akimam, the special rapporteur on racism, spoke on behalf of the other mandate holders. She sought the creation of an international commission of inquiry that was empowered to investigate systematic racism in U.S. law enforcement. After the debate, the U.N. Special Rapporteur on Human Rights released a statement condemning the United States. The statement noted that the U.S. was, quote, struggling to live up to its ideals, unquote. She called on the U.S. to bring itself into compliance with international human rights law. She further noted that the U.S. does not have national human rights institutions tasked with monitoring whether the U.S. is meeting its obligations under international human rights law. In its absence, the U.S. should allow an unbiased third party to monitor all federal agencies and ensure no human rights violations are committed. Finally, the Special Rapporteur noted that U.S. compliance with international human rights law is paramount due to its global influence. It sounds like the UDHR committee and the Special Rapporteur had strong recommendations for the U.S. Has the U.S. responded or taken any action since? As of now, the U.S. has not taken any steps based on the international legal community's recommendations. However, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris have stated that dismantling structures of racial discrimination are a priority of their administration and called the January 6th storming of the Capitol a, quote, dark moment, unquote, in our nation's history. So I am personally hopeful for the continued progression of the BLM movement over the next four years. Thank you for listening. Travaux is brought to you by Veronica Bognat and the members of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travaux at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insights, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current.